Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, no wife, no kids. We're switching the intro up, so I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say beyond that. Oh, Mari, my guy. So this is from one of the mailbag questions, right? From X-E-G-E-S-I-S. I don't know how to say that. My bad, my friend. And essentially his question was, I like the pod. I like listening to you guys, but I do not like the intro. Bryce lists out all these things about his life and then says one thing about Amari. But So I'm sorry, Amari. We're 24 episodes in. We're finally giving you the love you deserve. But To me, it's a Pistons podcast. You're a Pistons beat writer. That holds more weight than anything I could say. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, it's like a a subtle flex when you when you say teacher, husband, father, three amazing (laughs) kids. Like you present this image of Bryce, just the wholesome, the wholesome family guy. And then uh, I'm just like Pistons beat writer. Like I don't have the other uh, titles so I can add to my name. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure out like exactly what else I can add on that can like make myself seem more interesting than I actually am beyond just Pistons beat writer. So this is going to be a work in progress. Uh, maybe we can workshop it uh, before we start the next spot next time because I, I have no clue what to say. Like I don't have a wife. I don't have a kid. So I'm not a teacher. Uh, this is my day job. That's all I got going for me. So I don't know if you guys watch Bryson West, watch Game of Thrones, but I feel like Kalisi over the course of the show, her name just gets longer and longer as she's adding one more honorifics to her name. It's going to be a work in progress, but I'm going to figure this out. I got to find my, I got to find a way to match father, husband, and three amazing kids and all that because I have nothing at all. Like I'm just like the 28 year old single guy right now. I'm older than you, right? I got seven years on you, so that's part of all of this as well. And so you're gonna get when you're 35, you'll probably be married, you'll have some kids, you'll have all that stuff. You just live it up right now as a single young man. And uh, you're doing plenty of big things. We'll see. Where were you when you were 28? Like, what was your, like, what what, what phase of life were you in? Were you already uh, with your wife? Maybe not married at that point, but I just need a timeline to how you got from 28 to 35 and three kids and a wife. So our oldest son is seven years old. He was born a year after we got married. So we're coming up. He'll turn eight. So we're coming up on our nine-year anniversary. So it's 2022. So we got married in what, 13? We were married, had one kid, I guess, essentially whenever I was 28. And I was teaching, coaching, doing all the same stuff I'm doing now, other than I wasn't doing a podcast. So this is this has been the new resume for me is this podcast and content creation. Hey, here's the thing. Seven years ago, I wasn't watching the Pistons on a nightly basis. I can guarantee you that. Clearly, a lot could change in, in seven years, even if you were already married. I mean, I guess you, you, you've you been married for a while. I mean, 2013, that was nine years ago. So you were 25. We were dating in high school, all of that. Went off to different colleges, got back together and stuff. So it, it's been a long history there. And then to Game of Thrones, I've never watched. So I have no idea what reference you made just a little bit ago. Yeah, I'm sure most, most of the audience probably picked up on it. Uh, you know, most of my friends are, you know, not, not married, but will probably be married in the next four years. So clearly I need to turn up the gas a little bit and get my life going. Uh, <laughs> we did have a new Apple review. Great show. Go Pistons. I love Omari and Bryce. Always a good show, especially for a Detroit Pistons fan. That's from JYSF7. Appreciate the review. Uh, guys, make sure you go online and uh, express your love for us. Makes us feel good. And we get to touch you out on the pod. So it sounds like a win-win to me. 
Leave us ratings, leave those reviews, and then reach out. Twitter, DMs, email, whatever it is. Reach out, interact, let us know what you think about the pod. We always appreciate that. This is an all-mailbag episode, and so we're going to start with some Pistons ones, get through those, maybe the first couple segments, and then at the end of the podcast, we'll hit on some of the fun ones, maybe dive into our personal lives just a little bit more, let you guys get to know us like we did here at the beginning. But the first question was from at 313DetroitSports. What do you believe is the single greatest trait for a GM? Him and I talked previously about how he thinks Troy Weaver has separated himself by sticking to his plan and maintaining patience. Could have easily gone after a high-level free agent this offseason, but decided against it. So essentially, Omari, what do you think is the overriding quality of a really good GM in the NBA? I think that's tough. Like, I think there's a few things that kind of go into being a good GM. I would say the biggest thing is probably just – there's like two parts to this, but I would say one being able to properly identify talent, uh, you know, so not just, you know, players who could play, but players who fit what you're trying to do and what you're trying to build. Uh, but I think the second part of that is also knowing how to just from like from the fi- financial part, uh, knowing which guys you should pay and which ones you should probably not. Because uh, I think teams sometimes fall into the trap of, you know, this guy played really well. Uh, we have to pay him and, and keep him and, Sometimes it works out for the team, but sometimes you look back a few years later and it's like, you know, why is this guy making $18 million, right? So uh, I think that's the second part to it. It's one thing to be able to find guys who can exceed expectations and really play at a high level. But I think that second part is also just knowing what they're worth, you know, from a, a contract standpoint. And if the price probably gets too high to where, you know, that, that deal is going to be tough to trade in a few years, maybe you just call it quits. Uh, I think the Miami Heat are a good example of this where they identify talent well, but then you look back a few years later and a lot of their road players end up getting paid probably a lot more than they probably should. You know, they, there's a, a Ford that went to Michigan on, on their roster. He's making close to $20 million. And he's a great shooter, but you can't play him in the playoffs. Uh, to me, that would be an example of a, a situation where you identify talent, you develop them, you exceed all expectations, but I'm not always making so much that uh, the contract's just like a dead weight. On, on the roster. So I think those two things really are probably, I wouldn't say most of, of the job, but I think if you can't do those two things as a GM, you're probably not a good GM. Yeah, I think talent evaluation is a huge one, right? Like if you can't evaluate talent, then you better have a great staff around you that is going to evaluate talent. But you kind of touched on it as well. You have to be able to assemble the right talent. You can't just pick up good player, good player, you know, and then it not work together. So I think another thing, Omari, is like just building that cohesion throughout the organization in terms of you got to have everybody in the organization that sees the plan the same. I don't want to say sees it exactly like you. You don't want just a whole you know, organization full of yes men and yes women, but you want an organization where they see the vision you're on. You can't be an analytical GM and then have somebody who's stuck in the old school ways who refuses to use those things. So I do think that's a big part of it. Like you can't assemble a team that the coach doesn't believe in kind of the structure, right? Like the Raptors would be an example of this. You know, Nick Nurse has to buy into the roster construction that that organization is building. So I think it's a talent evaluation, but it's so important that everybody kind of sees that same vision. I I do want to ask this, Amari. Do you think what Troy Weaver did this summer – was the plan all along? This question had me thinking about this. And do you think what ended up playing out, was this his plan A? Was this his, you know, perfect offseason of draft, expiring contracts, and not actually going after a big free agent like the question asked? Honestly, I think plan A was just to open up the cap space. And um, I think once they had the cap space, then maybe there's more of a decision tree 
Uh, I know that there was talk going into the season just of we're going to go after Jalen Brunson or we're going to go after uh, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, we're going to try to relay this cap space into a player who can come in and really play at a high level and raise our floor. You know, and I think that plan adjusted as you get deeper to the offseason. Uh, okay, uh, Jalen's going to New York. You know, do we want to pay Ayton this or whatnot? But then obviously on draft night, uh, you end up with Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. Uh, who and I put this in my mailbag last week, but Darren also has some consideration at at five. Uh, you know, I think there's some different opinion on who that they want to go with at five, and then they end up with two players that they would have selected at five. You know, which was really the best case scenario. And then once that happens, it's like, okay, well, we have Duran, so do we need to go after DeAndre Ayton? Uh, probably doesn't make sense to invest that much capital into you know two guys who are pure centers. Like neither of those guys are playing power for it. Uh, maybe, I mean, maybe you play eight up power forward if you have a, a stretch five, but that's not during, obviously. So, uh, like, I like I think it's just probably more of a decision tree. Like, I don't know if they ever back themselves into one plan. Uh, we kind of saw what happened with Indiana where they make a, they cut some guys, make a max offer to uh, DeAndre Eight, and then that falls through, and it's like, okay, well, we made all this cap space. Like, what do we do now? You know, I think the thing about going after restricted free agents is that you, you may not get them. Like, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Whichever team matches, it doesn't matter. So that was kind of the uh, point of confusion for me when I saw people talking on social media, like, well, we have to do this. It's like, well, no, that's not really a plan. Like, that's more of a, a, a dice roll, right? Like, you make the offer and you hope that every team doesn't match. And, you know, if the Pistons are going that route, uh, they wouldn't have been able to do what they did now or ended up doing, uh, which is bringing in Derlins, bringing in Alec Burks, uh, you know, just using that cap space to bring more assets back. So, uh, I think this was on their list of things that they could do, and they saw this as an option, but I just think more so they wanted to have the cap space so that they would have that flexibility. You know, I, I think I think some summers you have a plan, A, some summers it's just, let's just get this flexibility and then figure it out from there. So there's a lot of different ways you can go, but for a team that's early in the rebuild as well, uh, I don't know if they saw this summer as like a, we have to do this and that so we can do X and Y next season. Uh, there's still an openness, I think, and they're still pretty flexible in how they go about their decisions. Uh, long-winded answer, but uh, I don't know if there's always a plan A every offseason. Sometimes it's just, let's just get this done and figure it out. And they've opened up a ton of cap flexibility for next offseason as well. You mentioned restricted free agents. There's one that two people ask questions about. These are from Kyle Metz, 23, and Pistons for Life, 76. Would you be interested in Colin Sexton at $19 million a year for three years if you had to give up, say, Killian Hayes? assuming Sexton would be willing to be the sixth man. So this is something that's been talked a lot about as it was reported. I think that the Cavs have an offer of three years, 40 million to Colin Sexton. Is he someone that Troy Weaver could jump on here? And then would you be willing to give up, say, a Killian Hayes in a sign-in trade to acquire him? Well, I guess one, if I'm paying Colin Sexton $19 million, he's starting. Like, I don't see who he comes off the bench for for this roster. I think you start him and Kay Cunningham and – uh, I think Ivy comes off the bench until Ivy shows that he can be better than Sexton for 19 million, and I'm giving up Killian. I think that's, I think that's a pretty good deal. Uh, I know that there's question marks as far as Sexton, and you know, can he defend this or that? He's not the best you know, creator for others, but um, you know, a guy who is a very, very highly efficient scorer, averaged like 24 points a game the season before he got hurt, and I think in today's NBA, uh, you know, the injury he suffered. Uh, just you probably feel pretty good about him coming back and making a full recovery. You know, this was like 10 years ago, maybe not, but I think you feel pretty good about it now, especially since his game isn't like a Derrick Rose, like he's uh, like elevating over guys. There's a lot of craft and he can really shoot it. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, you get Sexton on a pretty solid contract for three years. 
and you give up Killian, who has potential, but I mean, you know, I think Sexton is clearly the better basketball player right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good deal. And I do want to clarify, there, there was like a three-team deal, what Kyle Metz laid out. I don't have it right here in the outline, but essentially it was Killian Hayes. I, I don't know that you get that deal done just with Killian Hayes. You know, $19 million sounds like a lot. I would, I, I like Colin Sexton more as a six-man just in general, but you make up a good point. If you're going to pay him $19 million, is that a guy that you're going to bring off the bench? And, and maybe you don't have to originally. Maybe you can, or excuse me, initially but you can start him while Jaden Ivey develops and then, you know, he transitions into coming off the bench. I just think it's one of those, we talked about flexibility, right, Omari? And Troy Weaver has opened up flexibility. So you can be in play for some of these things if you want. Like you can call, you know, and find out, can you get Colin Sexton for three for 45? Now all of a sudden that's an incredible deal that you take advantage of. So I think to your your point about what the plan, quote unquote, was for the offseason, there's a ton of flexibility and you can be in on all these situations, including the possible trades of Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Russ, Kyrie. Like you could be the third or fourth team that help facilitate those and acquire an extra draft pick. Weaver's just done a good job creating that flexibility. And I think Sexton is really good. Uh, you know, it's a force situation seems like the market kind of dried up and he's just sitting and waiting to see what will happen i mean he's a good player uh, he would certainly be uh probably the most proven scorer on on, on this roster i mean uh really going off for one season to Cade, and of course Cade probably has a much higher ceiling but uh, Cade didn't have the efficiency that Sexton's had in his career thus far um you know i think offensively they play off each other really well you, you could give Jaden ivy a little bit more time to kind of settle into his role and uh, I, I, was, I would think at 19 million as well, you can probably trade Connor Sexton pretty easily uh, in a year, a year and a half if Ivy's ready to go. Then the next question again continues to talk about free agency this summer, restricted free agents. So it's from at Pistons blog. Do you see any chance the Pistons make a run at restricted free agent Jordan Nuara with some of the cap space they have left? He's young, shoots three well, can play small forward, power forward. Essentially, we had another question also that says, why haven't the Pistons addressed shooting on the roster? I personally would add Melo to the team. How about a solid backup point guard? Is there somebody out there? I know you wrote an article about bringing Carmelo Anthony in. Is there anything you see in terms of that? Another free agent that maybe this team brings in to play the 3-4, to add some shooting, anything like that? First, I think I think Jordan Dora is... Uh, the type of guy the Pistons should be looking at. I'm pretty sure Milwaukee picked up his qualifying offer. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's a pretty highly paid roster. He's a good road guy for him, but it seems like there's a bit of a staring contest going. Uh, he fits this roster really well. Like, he's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, shot around 34, 35% from three last season. Uh, he's still on the younger end. And he does fill a positional need for this team just as a, a, a wing who can play multiple positions. So... Um, yeah, I mean, especially for the money, uh, the Pistons have the cap space, I think, to get that done. Uh, I think there's a pretty natural fit there. I'll go ahead and, and let you weigh in on, on that, that one, Bryce, where we move on to the shooting and maybe Carmelo Anthony as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind another player in that realm that the Pistons could add to this roster. I think that shooting is an issue just to kind of make lineup versatility. Again, though, it's like, how many different guys are you going to be able to play? And so you add Jordan Nuara to the roster, and now he's taking up minutes. I know this question's coming later, so where does Hami get minutes? Does that mean Isaiah Livers isn't getting minutes? I think it kind of depends on what the plans are for a Kelly Olynyk, for a Nerlens Noel. We've talked about Jalen Duran 
quite a bit. And so who's going to play for at the four? If you're playing some of these smaller guys, then, you know, those guys are all trying to vie for minutes at the five. So I do think at a certain point, like you want to at least have minutes and a plan to get these guys on the floor. You know, Kevin Knox is kind of in the same boat. Um, Carmelo Anthony, I probably wouldn't be in on just, I don't like, I don't see where that is necessarily at his age, something that makes sense. Um, but you may have felt a little bit different. I think I'm intrigued by Carmelo. Uh, obviously just as a guy that can really shoot coming as a veteran, uh, it makes sense. Uh, the relationship with him and Troy Weaver, obviously Troy Weaver recruited him to Syracuse back before Carmelo was really seen as like that can't miss talent in high school. And they also reunited in OKC, uh, you know, five or six years ago when when they traded for Carmelo. There's some history there between Carmelo and Troy. You know, I don't think I need to educate fans on uh, the Pistons passing a Carmelo for Darko 18 years ago. Uh, a lot of people just turned the pot off. I like the idea of it. Uh, like, I'm I'm curious, like, if the Pistons were to sign Carmelo, and like, I'm not saying this is a consideration for the front office at all, but I'm just wondering if just the level of attention and like hype that would bring in from fans who are like, Oh, Carmelo's finally a piston, this and that. I mean, of course he's like 38 years old. So many more stops does he have, you know, like I I wonder how much he like play on this team. Like I'm sure he wants to win. Uh, You know, I wonder just bringing in in a guy like that, who would bring in so much attention. Does that take a lot of attention off of the young guys? Like, I don't know. Like, I I guess I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by it, but I don't know. If it makes sense, especially if Carmelo is in a stage of his career where he wants to ring chase, which, you know, I'm sure he would probably rather be in a better situation than a Pistons team that is probably a, a borderline playing team at this point. Let's transition into next offseason. We had a question about you know, the 2023 draft, the 2023 free agent class. We talked earlier about the cap flexibility Troy Weaver has even for next season. And so this is from Circuit Rider 74. I know it's early and you've posted a number of the 2023 draft picks, but as of now, who out of the 2023 draft class would you see fitting best in the current Pistons roster and any free agent 23 best fit? So Omari, you may not have dove into the 23 draft class yet. I have done some breakdowns, but I'm just going to read off a list of names for free agency next offseason. Andrew Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell, Miles Turner, LeVert, Oubre, Dylan Brooks, DeAndre Hunter, Tyler Hero, Brandon Clark. Any of those names there in the outline that kind of interests you next offseason for the Pistons where you're like, man, that guy would really fit well with this roster. I mean, I think most of them will. Honestly, all these guys are, I think, a good bit more talented than uh, what the Pistons currently have on their roster. Uh, I'll probably be out on D'Angelo Russell uh, just because the Pistons already have Killian Jaden and Kate, so you really don't need a veteran point guard who's going to have the ball in his hand every single possession. Uh, beyond that, I mean, yeah, if you get Andrew Wiggins on a good deal, I think that's worthwhile. He's like a year younger than me, so you give him a four-year deal, he'll still be in his prime when that deal ends, and you know his value's never been higher than it is right now. Uh, Dylan Brooks, uh, you know, he was in, in Memphis when I covered Memphis, so. Dylan is interesting because he is a really good defender. Uh, he shoots the, the three pretty well. Shot selection is not great. Shot selection is not great. So I don't know. I think it would depend on the contract for that. But he would certainly be a guy that would be divisive with the fan base because there would be games where he scores 32 and shoots you to victory. And then there's going to be a handful of games a year where, you know, he has like 12 points, but shot like he had 32 and maybe shoots <laughs> out of the game. Uh, I didn't watch Dylan as much this past season, so maybe he's – Corrected that a little bit. But I know when I covered him, the shot selection was certainly probably the thing with him that could kind of drive you crazy. Uh, but all these guys are good. I mean, Tyler Hero, uh, Brandon Clark, P.J. Washington, Grant Williams, Jordan Poole, 
Uh, all these guys are good. I mean, I think you could pursue any of these guys. And a few of these guys are, are max players, obviously, like Brandon Clark, P.J. Washington, uh, Grant Williams. Probably don't want to pay them more than 15 a year. Overall, it's a pretty good free agency class, and I think you can make a run at any of these guys and feel pretty good about it, honestly. Yeah, and I do want to mention all these guys are on varying levels of unrestricted or restricted free agency. I didn't want to go through each. I think Andrew Wiggins is interesting because I think he could come to Detroit and still be in a role where he would be successful. He's not a number one guy, but I think he showed last year in the playoffs and in the finals, if he's in the right role, he can be very effective. I will make a quick note. I have done a lot of you know, 2023 NBA draft player breakdowns on the YouTube channel. And Derek Whitehead is the guy. I think he would fit best for the Pistons, how I currently see him. He's an absolute bucket, makes a ton of tough shots. He's going to Duke, 6'6". Um, he will have just turned 18 when you guys are listening to the podcast. So he's the guy. He's going to be a top five pick. So I don't know if the Pistons are going to be there or not. There's a lot of good guys in this draft. So it's going to be a really fun offseason again next offseason with the cap flexibility. Weaver's opened up another draft pick. The I do want to make note, the Pistons have two unrestricted free agents, I believe, Hami and Kojo, and then a bunch of club options on the young guys, which will assumably be picked up, and then Kelly Olenek's on a non-guarantee. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Detroit Pistons' new jersey selection for the upcoming season and answer some more of your other mailbag questions. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're going to lead off with... A question that's been a hot topic uh, this past week. This is from, oh, right on brand, Crusader Teal. Which Teal jersey outside of Cade would you both say is, is the smart investment when it get released? As in, who do you feel confident will be good and with the Pistons for years to come? kind of want to use this to just kind of talk about the Teals in general. I guess as far as the smartest investment, I guess that's sort of a, who do you think is going to be the best player on, on this team in four or five years kind of question, really. It's kind of tough to say because I think we haven't seen Ivy or Duran play in NBA minutes yet. So, I mean, it could be one of them, but, you know, until I see them in actual NBA action, it's kind of tough to say. Uh, I'll probably just go with Sadiq Bay just because we, we, like, we've seen him score 50 already. And, you know, I'm just probably just, I would probably just bet on the guy who has shown the most thus far. Uh, you could easily make a case for Jaden Ivy, you know, just given that he's going to be a highlight reel. Uh, but I'm just going to go Sadiq because I've seen him play the most. And I just would bet on the guy I've seen play the most so far. Yeah, I, I kind of listed it in order of Sadiq first. And then I do have Jay Nivey and Jalen Duran. I just think the organization is very high on them. I think they're high on Isaiah Stewart as well. 
but I actually would put Ivy and Duran above them. And we'll talk a little bit about those guys, some floor ceiling stuff in just a little bit with one of our other mailbag questions. But I think that would be the order I would have it. But we, we had a question from Ejecto Cito. Hear anything about a court redesign? Last year's blandness was not it. So Amari, I'm going to give you the chance because we talked about the, I, I could care less about the jerseys, <laughs> the court design, any of that stuff. I was telling you guys, my wife, I'm recording in the house now for our listeners. I don't go to the school anymore. And I needed uh, some new blinds behind me because I record in our three-year-old bedroom. So he just has random blinds. He's like, let's get some Pistons blinds. I posted on Twitter and my guy Wes called me out. Like, that's the old Detroit Pistons look. I was like, Wes, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what the new, what the current Pistons logo is. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I don't know what the cool shoes are, any of that stuff. I just want to watch basketball. So that is my thoughts on the teal and the design and the blandness of stuff. Omari, you can take it from there. Yeah, Bryce is too cool to care about teal guys. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's not a cool thing. It's like I just, it's insignificant to me. Bryce is looking at the madness on Twitter. Everybody's arguing about it. And Bryce is just, he's drinking his coffee and just smirking. Like, you are so simple. Talking about stop, jerseys. Stop, stop. Ball is life for me. I'm watching basketball. Turn on the tur- tur- turn on the film. Uh, I mean, like I've said this on Twitter oh, over the years. You know, I've said it on Twitter even before uh, I knew uh, the Pistons were bringing the Till jerseys back. Like, I've always liked the Till jerseys. You know, I was born in 1994, so Till jerseys were from 96 to 01. So, like, my earliest memories of watching the Pistons are, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, like, the Jerry Stackhouse and Grand Hill teams and they had the, the Till jerseys, and that's just kind of what I remember watching uh, when I was a kid. Like, my first basketball game was uh, Kobe Bryant's NBA courtside, which I think came out in 1998 on the N64. Uh, I played a few years after it came out, like, probably like 2001, 2002. But um, Pistons had the Till jerseys on there. So I think for people like my age, uh, like kind of like between, like, the ages of, like, 35 and, like, maybe even younger than that. I just think we weren't around for the bad boys. Like Isaiah Thomas literally retired like a week before I was born. Like there was like no overlap between me and the bad boys at all. Yeah, like the Till Pistons were like the first team I really watched with, you know, some regularity. And because of that, like I guess Till doesn't look weird to me. That's just what they wore back in the 90s. And I think for a lot of people my age, it's just what they wore at the time. And because Till fell so violently out of fashion uh, when the 90s came to an end, uh, I think the jerseys kind of have this coat status now because uh, you just don't see Taylor jerseys anymore. Like, it was a, a product of his time. It's done. Uh, 90s were lame for a while. Now they're cool. And we're starting to see a lot of that stuff come back. So, like, I get it. Like, if you watch the Bad Boys, you know, you're probably like, you know, this is a an assault on the eyes. Why would you get rid of the classic red, white, and blue? Uh, yada, yada. Uh, these jerseys suck. I get it. Like, I see where you're coming from. Uh, for me personally, like, I just I just can't see it that way. Uh, I think Teal looks cool. I think the jerseys are going to be popular next year. Uh, I was at Mopop yesterday, recorded this on Sunday. And literally, it was like for the first hour, I saw like six or seven Teal jerseys. I saw a lot of Pistons jerseys in general. I saw maybe one Lions jersey, one Red Wings jersey. I uh, didn't see a lot by the, the Tigers. And it could just be like I covered the team, so I'm just noticing Pistons jerseys more. Like I would say a lot of Pistons jerseys I saw, I saw maybe 11 or 12. I'd say at least half of them were, were, were Teal. So, uh, again, Mopop, people in my demographic, people in my age, uh, Bryce was shaking his head a little bit because he's like, 
Omari. What's, what's Mopop? That's why I'm shaking my head. <laughs> what's Mopop? <laughs> it's a music festival for any listeners who are not in the Detroit area. But yeah, no, I just had to just kind of stand on my on my on my stool here and protect the teal because like I got like an email from somebody that was just like nobody cares. I'm like, no, a lot of people care, man. What like you like you may not care, but. A lot of people care, you know, until it's back and like it's, it's going to be popular next season. Like I just don't see how this backfires for the Pistons, honestly. No, 100 percent. And like out of all due respect, I know people care about it and I respect that and I'm cool with it. Like I just personally don't. I could just care less what color the jerseys are, what the design is or anything else. I think it's probably a really smart move by the Pistons because I assume their jersey sales are skyrocketing right now for it being, you know, the 1st of August. And I will say my wife loves the teal. So she was all about this idea. She she has a couple of t-shirts and one of them was definitely the teal. So she's she's all about it. Let's move on to a few other questions. And I want to really, you know, settle down in the seal, ceiling floor player comparisons in just a second. So we may go through these just a little bit quicker here, Amari. What is Hamadou Diallo's role with this team? Seems murky. Your guards are Cade, Ivan, Ivy, Killian, and Corey. Sadiq Livers and Burks at the wings. What's his path to playing minutes? This was from Tyler at Fueled by Motown. I think the margin for error uh, for Hami is a lot slimmer than it was last season uh, because you do have, I mean, I would assume most of the minutes in the backcourt are going to be occupied by Killian, Kay, and, and Ivy, obviously, uh, which means that Hami is in the mix with the, the forwards. Then you have Alec Burks, who is a really, really great shooter. Uh, so I think his role in the team is pretty much guaranteed because you need shooting on this roster. Isaiah uh, Livers can really shoot it. Sadiq can really shoot it. So Hami's sort of in this weird place where I think a lot of his best skills, which is he's a, he's a great rebounder for his size. Uh, he can be a great defender, but it's not probably as consistent as you would want it. Uh, doesn't really shoot very well. Uh, he is a high energy guy, so he can dunk and push the pace and whatnot cut. I think Jaden Ivey does a lot of that. Like Ivey probably isn't quite the rebounder that Hami is, but uh, beyond that, I think just from a energy athleticism standpoint, a lot of that is replicated by Ivy. You know, so I can see Hami being in a rotation early just to give him a chance. But if he's not shooting the ball well, I just don't know if his skill set has the same utility that it had last season when his roster is now a lot more athletic and there's a more obvious need for having playmaking on the floor to utilize that athleticism and then shooting as well. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I think the margin for error firm is probably a lot slimmer and he's going to have to really lock in on defense and knock on open threes if he wants to keep a row. I think that's a great way to put it, the margin of error for him. I think he's going to get a chance. I, I like Hami. I've been a huge Hami fan, but I like a lot of other guys on this roster as well. I think what's great about this is it's going to be a competition. You're going to have to bring it in practice. You're going to have to bring it in games. And if you're not playing well, there's somebody else that can play decent that's going to take those minutes from you, which leads us to the next question by Richard Prince. And what's up with Kevin Knox? Essentially, he asked where his minutes going to come from. And I'll be honest, Amari, my quick answer is I don't see the minutes for Kevin Knox right now. Again, I think at some point, Dwayne Casey will find minutes for him, but I don't know that he's going to be much of an impact on this roster. Yeah, I don't know if they signed Kevin Knox with the idea that he would be the rotation player. I think they signed him with the idea that, uh, you know, he could com- compete in practice and you could skill develop him and see what you have. And, you know, some players get injured or he just exceeds all the ex- expectations he plays then. Uh, but I think that was just more of a, a, a death, like let's take a swing. And, uh, you know, this guy's a recent lottery pick and still young, so maybe he could still play. But no, I don't think they I don't think they signed him with the expectation that he would play big minutes. Uh, I think if you're trying to, you know, compete, uh, you need you put Kevin in a situation where he has to be a, as good as 
the players in front of him. And if he's not, he just won't play. But no, I don't think he's guaranteed minutes at all. I think he has to show that he's an NBA player before uh, he sees the court with any consistency. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about the shooting a lot. We don't have to dive back into it. I think it's one of those things because the team does need some shooting. If he comes in and he just has a career year from the three-point line, then maybe he gets more minutes. But you know, I don't know that I expect to see that from him. One more here before we get to the ceiling floor stuff. is This is from at Lakeshore Nick. Is it crazy to think Cade should primarily play at small forward, lessen the strain on him, and open opportunities for other Pistons to expand their games? Uh, for me, when I thought about this question, I was thinking about defensively, but I do think he's talking about maybe offensively and not having the ball in his hands quite as much. So what do you think about that, Omari? Yeah, he said, uh, I want to avoid developing a stagnant Mavericks-like offense where everyone looking first to Kate, with everyone looking first to Kate before making any moves. I guess one, like, I don't know if the Mavs offense was like that stagnant, like you had him and and, uh, Brunson, but I think that's probably more of a a team personnel issue where he just didn't have enough players who could take heat off of Luka because they don't really have a second all-star. It's just, uh, you know, Brunson, who's good, not an all-star type guy. Uh, Dinwiddie, who's good, not an all-star. You know, I, like, I don't know if that's a, a, a Jason Kidd, you know, Mavs offense issue. I think that's just a they have one-star <laughs> issue. So, of course, the ball's going to be in his hands a bit more in his heart to divert attention away from Luka if you don't have a second all-star on the floor with him. Um, I think that's just more of a roster problem. And I don't necessarily... Like, whether you play K, like, you can play K at whatever position, play on my center, like, the boss are going to be in his hands, right? So, you know, I guess it's more so creating opportunity for Killian, you know, Corey, uh, Jaden to play next to him. And maybe if you want to play a little bit smaller, uh, you know, maybe maximize space and, well, like, whatever the argument is for it. Um, I guess no matter what position he's at, the boss way to be in K's, the boss way to be in his hands. And I don't know if putting the ball in somebody else's hands on his team is necessarily going to be uh, productive to winning. Uh, just because Kate is the best player. It's like, yeah, you can put the ball in Killian's hands or in Ivy's hands more, uh, but that's probably not going to do a whole lot because, well, I don't want to sell Ivy sure. Like, we don't know how good he's going to be as a rookie, but kind of like, what does that do, right? Like, you know, Killian can't shoot, so you have defenders playing off of him, and, like, I don't know if that really fixes anything. No, I mean, I think I think, I think think Kate will play 1-3-3 like he did last season. I think no matter what position he's at, the ball's going to be in his hands, and I think the way to lessen the strain on Kate is just to get more time around him. I don't think the position is really going to change anything because defenses are going to play them the same way. I think I looked at it from a defensive perspective. Wes and I have had this conversation. I like the idea of playing him, you know, at the three in terms of defensively, because I think he does struggle with quicker guys. Now Wes is, you know, kind of came back at me. Then does that create not as good of matchups for him on the offensive end? So there's a whole debate there. Maybe we can get into later to answer the question from a defensive perspective. I don't mind the idea of him guarding some bigger players in that way. And then it does open up some lineup versatility if he does that. Let's get to this before we go to our next break. This was from Kick Knoll. Ceiling and floor player comparisons for our young core. So let's get through as many of these guys as we can, Omari. Cade, what is his floor? What is his ceiling? I think Cade's ceiling is probably from a score. He's Paul Pierce, but he's also a better playmaker than Paul Pierce. So you have a guy who's probably giving you 23-24 a game efficiently, uh, defends pretty well, and you know can also like run the floor like a point guard. So he's like a 6-7 assist type of guy. I think that's his ceiling, which, you know, of course, Paul Pierce was an a annual all-star and uh, you know, he won a lot of games once that Boston team got a lot of talent. And if Paul Pierce could, like, really pass it, like, again, like, he's already all-time great, but that puts the ceiling up a little bit higher. So, really, I mean, Kate is already that type of player in, like, a lot of ways. So, you know, maybe I'm selling his ceiling short since he already kind of displayed last season that he could already pretty much be that. 
I don't know, rich man Paul Pierce. I don't know. I put a, a Luka Doncic, but a more well-rounded game. I've yeah. kind of, I know Luka was the comparison for a while. I pushed back for a while. I, I've kind of came back around to it, seeing how much K did want the ball in his hands. And I just think he should develop the same type of game in terms of building out his strength in his body and playing with quote unquote, not elite athleticism, but just getting to his spots and using angles and those things, but a little bit more of a well-rounded player, hopefully improves defensively. That's another conversation we can have at a a different time, but that's what I see for a floor. Like I I had a hard time, Amari, because I just don't think he's not going to be really, really good. So I I didn't really have a player for his floor. How about Jaden Ivey? Some of the common names as West putting out are, you know, Russell Westbrook, Donovan Mitchell, people throw out John Morant. We've had this conversation quite a bit, but what's the floor and ceiling for, for Jaden Ivey? Yeah, I think, I think the floor for Jaden Ivey is probably a guy like, I mean, there's been like a lot of athletic guards in the NBA who didn't really have all the tools you would want to be like, sort of like your lead ball handler. So you can kind of just plug a lot of guys in that spot, honestly, whether it's, and he was hurt a lot. So it's not a fair comparison. Like Dante Exum, like Emmanuel Moutier. Like, I think he's better than those guys. Like, you know, I don't want to sell him too short, but that's probably the floor. Like a guy who's like really athletically gifted, but uh, just doesn't quite do everything you want. Like I know Moody always struggled to shoot, so that you know capped his ceiling pretty significantly. You know I think whenever you take a point guard with that type of athleticism, you're hoping the rest of their game comes along. There's a chance it doesn't, and then you just have a guy who can get to the rim. And but Ivy, I think his floor is already a little bit higher than those guys, but probably just like just average starter. I think probably like he's going to impact the game with his athleticism, but you probably just won't do everything you want. Ceiling, like I'm looking at a guy like a. Like I, I keep coming back to Donovan Mitchell, but I think that's probably the the, the ceiling. Like gets to the rim, like great athlete, uh, defends pretty well, pretty good shooter. I think Donovan was a better shooter than Ivy was in college. But you know, if Ivy can shoot like six threes a game and knock him down like a thirty six percent clip, like that's probably pretty good for him. Like I don't see Ja at all. I think like I just think Ja like from a, a ball handling and just a just like the way he sees the floor. Uh, he's like a little bit of a different player. So I'm still thinking with Donovan Mitchell as my ceiling for Jaden Ivey. I think that's probably a realistic ceiling if everything breaks right for him. Yeah, I mean, I think the ceilings we've talked about before probably fit. I, I do think the floor, I know I've heard this one before. People have joked about this. You know, it's a homie type player, which is essentially what you talked about as well. I don't think that's going to be what happens with Jaden Ivey, but you're just talking about an athletic guard who doesn't shoot it that well, who's kind of a so-so defender, maybe can be disruptive, and he's just a rotation player at best. What about Sadiq Bey? This this ceiling conversation hit huge on Twitter recently. What is your floor and ceiling for a guy like Sadiq Bey? Yeah, I mean, his floor is kind of like what he is now. Um, yeah. Like last season, like he expanded his arsenal a little bit, but he didn't do it with great efficiency. So I think probably his floor is just three and D type who can create if you need him to, but you probably don't want him primarily in that role. Like his passing was really good last season. Like he like he had like a two to one assist ratio, basically. His assists almost doubled, even though his turnovers basically stayed the same. So already, I think you could say he's a pretty good playmaker. So I'm trying to think of a cop on the top of my head, like a player who could shoot well, pass some tools on defense, uh, could also pass a little bit. Maybe like a Batum type, you know, if, if they really believe in the playmaking and they're comfortable allowing them to initiate some pick and roll and whatnot, that's probably his floor. Uh, ceiling, I would say Chris Middleton, uh, just a guy who can get a bucket every time he's down on the floor. Secondary playmaking can rebound. Uh, Chris Middleton has been like my ceiling for him for a while, and that hasn't changed. That's essentially what I had as well. You know, Jay Crowder was kind of the floor. That's something I had brought up in the past with him and then ceiling Chris Middleton. So we got two more that we need to get to. Isaiah Stewart, what floor and ceiling do you see from him? 
Yeah, Isaiah Stewart's floor, like, again, like what we saw last season, like somebody sort of in, like, Grant Williams' mode uh, can handle multiple uh, defensive matchups, can get you some rebounding. Williams is already a much better shooter than Isaiah Stewart is, so maybe that's not quite a great floor. Maybe, like, Grant Williams, like, the season before last, before he was really shooting it that well. Uh, I think I think Isaiah's ceiling, like, if he can really hit open threes, then, again, like, Grant Williams, but maybe even, like, a little bit better on defense. There's not a lot of guys in, like, in, in that mode. We always talk about, like, positionally flexible bigs who can defend multiple positions and shoot and whatnot. But there really aren't that many of those guys, like, usually giving something up. So, I mean, if he could really, really shoot it, maybe you're looking at a guy who is not quite as good as Jaron Jackson Jr., but gives you the spacing, gives you the versatility on defense. Jaron's not a great rebounder, so Isaiah may already be a better rebounder than him. And I don't know if Isaiah's ever going to block two and a half shots a game like Jaron will. But as far as impact, that's probably his best case scenario. Just as a big who is defending like three through five pretty regularly and also uh, knocking down shots on offense. Somebody like Miles Turner, but the defensive impact isn't with protecting the rim. It's with being switchable. So it's like you have that stretch big ability on the offensive end but defensive like that's I think where the comps are hard to find with Isaiah Stewart because you know those guys are rim protectors more like Jaron Jackson Jr. right more of a rim protector Miles Turner more of a rim protector I don't think Stu does that as much but he provides similar value defensively with his switchability in those situations so I do think a ceiling in terms of that a stretch big but on the defensive end it's his switching and then one final one Jalen Duran. I think this one is really interesting I'm just going to give mine real quick. I think the floor is like a Mitchell Robinson. He's just like this athlete, grabs rebounds, catches lobs, does those things. I actually have a really high ceiling for him. I really see that this was one that Isaiah Stewart used to get that I never bought into, but I think Duran has a little bit of this in him, and that's Bam Adebayo with the Miami Heat. I think that's the ceiling for Jalen Duran. I buy the passing, the skill level that he may be able to develop. Yeah, I agree with both of those 100%. I think Mitchell Robinson, just as a guy who can like get up and down, rebound, block shots, yeah, I think that's a pretty good floor for him. And I agree. I, I never really saw Bam for Isaiah Stewart just because I think Bam's a different tier of athlete, a different tier of passer. Like I don't think Isaiah's ever going to be a guy that you're doing a lot of short road stuff with. Uh, but Duran does have that skill set. He keeps his head up. You know, he does look for the pass. Um, he isn't just, when I catch the ball, like no matter what, I'm going to go back up with it. I think a lot of bigs with that skill set they think every offensive possession where they get the boss in with them dunking it and they can lead to some awkward possessions but he does keep his head up uh gifted athlete can rebound uh i like bam as a ceiling for him we have one more question we're going to get to that involves the pistons and then a few that have nothing to do with the pistons their nba or sports in general and we'll get to those after this short break I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. As Bryce said earlier, we have a basketball question and then some more personal questions for us. This is from Just Doug 86 
your prediction on breakout player of the year. And yes, it's okay to pick a rookie. I'm going with Marvin Bagley. I think he could be a 19-9 dude. I expected K to take a big step forward, too. Thanks, guys. Love the pod. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'll let you lead off with this one. I feel like I'll probably need a minute to think about it, honestly, because there's probably seven guys you can make an argument for here and not be wrong. Yeah, I'm having a hard time with this one. I've given Isaiah Livers a lot of love, I feel like, in the last month. That's probably the answer I'm going to go with because Cade may make a huge leap, but I'm already so high on Cade. I don't know that I can go with that. I don't know that there's a huge leak from Sadiq Bey. Obviously, Isaiah Stewart, if the three-point shooting comes around Omari, like we've talked about at times, that would be a huge leap. I think that would be a a breakout-type candidate. So... I'm going to go with Isaiah Stewart. Let's buy into the three-point shooting, but I think Isaiah Livers will as well. And I'm interested to see what kind of development we see from Cade Cunningham. I think he needs some on the defensive end. Does the three-point shooting get better? So that'll be interesting also. Marvin Bagley is an interesting test case also. So like you said, there's a lot of different options to go with here. Yeah, I mean, if Isaiah Stewart is really shooting the ball well, I think he could kind of explode onto the scene a bit more. Uh, I think... Part, part of the reason is because he did have the dust-up with LeBron last season, so he did get some national notoriety from that. So that, that could be the second part of that, where it's like, oh, this guy can also really play. And if he's knocking down threes, you know, you know that just like NBA Twitter in general will, you know, pick up on his defensive impact. Uh, Pistons off Cade and Jaden Ivey, so I think they'll be in the spotlight a lot more anyway. Uh, so we've talked about it on the pod a lot, like in just in general, but Isaiah Stewart's game could really make him one of the more valuable bigs in the NBA uh, because when the playoffs come and you have a, a center that you can't play off the floor because he can defend basically everyone, uh, you know, with some consistency. And if he's knocking out threes as well, like you're never going to play him off the floor. Like there will never be a matchup where you don't want him on the floor, you know, either just as the lone center or alongside a different center. Uh, and you can just look at what Boston did with Grant Williams, where you could stick with Grant Williams as your five if you're going really small, or you can play on next to Al Horford, or you can play on next to Robert Williams. And no matter what the matchup is, he's going to hold his own. He's going to feel good. Like those types of players are just super valuable. And I think I think Isaiah Stewart is probably the right pick here, even though there are a lot of other guys you can make an argument for. So this isn't a very fun one, and it's not necessarily a breakout, but I think a guy that could be improved from what we saw last year is Kelly Olenek. I really, I was really high on that signing two off-seasons ago and what he could bring to this team, and I don't know what his role is going to end up being, but if he is a major part of the rotation, if he... I know people have talked about him possibly starting or if he's you know coming off the bench at the four I still think he's a guy that helps the development of all the other pieces these young pieces on the roster and I think the player he actually is and hopefully still is K could really be a good improvement for this team so again that's not a fun answer that's not a breakout player but just in kind of a guy that would be better than what we saw last season I would say Kelly Olenek now there's also a chance he's traded before the season even starts and my answer becomes irrelevant. Kelly, I mean, he's better than what we saw last season. He had the injury, and even before the injury, he struggled a little bit. But uh, he kind of falls into that same role of just being really the only center on the roster who can really handle the ball in transition, a good passer, and also could shoot it. Uh, I know that you know some some people theorized a month ago when the Pistons had five centers, so do I five centers, uh, that Kelly could have been an odd man out, partially guaranteed next year. Uh, I just think his skill set's too too valuable. Like if there's a deal that makes sense, then yeah, maybe you do that. But for me, it's just hard to see why 
you would move on from the only center in your roster that could shoot. Really, the only player taller than six eight that could shoot. Like to me, that just seems too valuable. To I mean, I think it, a lot depends on whether Isaiah Stewart's shot does come around or how small they want to play with Sadiq Bay, possibly Isaiah Livers at the four. Stuff we've talked about. One more here, just from at GM wannabe. He asked about the Marvin Bagley the third breakdown. It is out. You can check that out on YouTube. Looked at his defense just with the Pistons and this came from some people, Amari, who felt like maybe we were just judging Marvin Bagley III's defense based off what he did with the Kings. And do we think he's going to be even better this upcoming season as he gets a full year with the Pistons and, you know, a little bit more removed from that Sacramento Kings organization? I don't think it's based on uh, the Kings misusing him on defense. I think the Kings misused him on offense because they would stick him into the corner. And, and the reason why he improved so much on offense is because the Pistons use him properly. You know, which was as a road guy and you know, cleanup guy, posted him up here and there. Uh, that's what he's good at, and that's why offensively he improved a lot. Defensively, I think you know, the limitations are just inherent to not only his def- def- defensive tools, but also just the way he approaches it. Uh, he's not the best ladder or move- mover on defense, so when you have more mobile power forwards, uh, they could beat him off of the dribble, and that puts a lot more pressure on Isaiah Stewart, whoever the five is, to uh, make the right rotation. And then uh, near the rim, he also just isn't a great shot blocker or just isn't a great rim protector. So I think it's just a little bit more inherent to him rather than uh, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he could absolutely get better on, on defense. Like, I don't think he is just a player who is just going to be a bad defender. Like, you have some guys who are just like 6'5 and slow, and it's like, okay, like, I don't see any, any upside here. Uh, with Marvin, no, like, there's absolutely upside. He's a good athlete. And I think a lot of it for him is just just recognizing things as they happen a little bit better. Uh, and you can get better at that. Uh, like there have been centers in the past who weren't great defenders when they came into the league, but developed to become great defenders. And I think Martin Beckley can do that. So uh, I, w- I wouldn't blame the Kings for that. I think he had the, the tweener label when he came out of Duke. And I was kind of known when he came in, but he's still 23 and he can absolutely get better. So uh, I, I do think that's something he can, he can improve at next season. I think there was some small improvements from the breakdown I did. I won't spoil that too much, but in general, yeah, that awareness, he's not much of a rim protector, which is kind of weird. You would think he would be with, you know, the lob threat that he was, but you mentioned earlier how, you know, valuable Isaiah Stewart's going to be on the defensive end in the playoffs. Marvin Bagley is kind of the opposite of that. Like you, he can get played off the floor in the playoffs, but he's still going to be very valuable in the regular season. We have a couple questions that were non-Pistons related, Omari, that we wanted to get to and have some fun with. So this first one is from at Pistons. He said, do either of you have a weird food combo that wouldn't seem like it would go together, but is actually amazing? And I first want to say somebody responded to this with a peanut butter and Lay's potato chip sandwich or something. And like, I don't know much, but that doesn't sound good at all. I see the upside. I think you have, like, I think, like, I think, I think Lay's chips go in most sandwiches because they're crunchy and they're saucy. And like I'm like this is a sandwich I would make, but I think you just have the peanut butter, which is kind of savory. How you put some crunch in it, and you have the salt from the chips. Like I can see. Cade that. Cunningham, if Cade Cunningham listens to this podcast, which we have no indication that he does, he is going to be furious because we know Cade loves his PB and Js, and taking the jelly out and substituting Lay's potato chips is disrespectful to the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay, I'll, I'll make a point to ask Kate this at some point next season. I don't know. <laughs> I think I feel like Kate will probably get down with Lay's potato chips in between the uh, peanut butter sandwich for sure. So is this a regular for you? You put chips on your sandwich because this is not something I do at all. I never put chips on my sandwich. They are a side. You put it to the side of your cheeseburger, your hamburger, whatever you're eating. No, I I, I really buy chips. Like I, I'm not a big chip eater. 
in general, but I've had chips and sandwiches and they were good. And I could just like I've never had a Lay's potato chip and peanut butter sandwich, but I can see how it tastes good. Like you have the crunch, uh, you have sort of the creaminess from the peanut butter, and then you have like savoriness from the peanut butter and then some salt from the chips. It is a peanut butter sandwich, but enhanced by the chips. I think that the chips are a topping for the peanut butter. It's not like the star of the show. It's just something to add a little bit extra to it. So if you like peanut butter sandwiches, I can see why you would put chips in it and it would enhance the sandwich as a whole. I just see the vision. I'm not supporting Stop. it. I just see it. Stop. <laughs> I just see it. Like I see, like I see the upside there. Like I see, like I see what they're going for. I wish we had the pod on YouTube so people could see the absolute frustration on my face right now. This is going to ruin my day. Like I'm going to be frustrated. The r- I got to go work out after this. I got to go run and clear my mind because yeah. this is crazy to me. But with that said, I do kind of have a weird one. So do you know what Dorothy Lynch dressing is? I, I don't know if that's a very common dress salad dressing. Well, that's probably a Kansas thing. <laughs> so it's it's an orange ranch or a orange salad dressing essentially. It's Dorothy Lynch. Look it up. I put that on my lasagna. So it was something, I don't know, my dad did it. And so that's what I started to do whenever I was a kid. So that's probably my weirdest one. But when I was trying to come up with one, I said it to my wife and her exact words were, you don't have them. You were too controlled for that. So essentially she's like, I'm too like, my food has to be separated on my plate. And then I eat one whole thing at a time. So if I have steak, mashed potatoes and a vegetable, I'll eat the vegetable then the mashed potatoes, then the steak. I don't, my food doesn't touch and I don't mix bites from one to the next. That is pretty disciplined. I'm looking up Dor- Dorothy Lynch dressing. Like, okay, so we have the notes that I saw you mentioned Dorothy Lynch. And I would thought, is she, like I said, her lasagna recipe? Like, what's the, like, like, like I had no clue what to read that. I had no clue what that was. Uh, I looked up Dorothy Lynch dressing, a recipe for it, just so the readers know what's in it. Yeah, yeah, you create all your own stuff, right? You're the salsa yeah. man, and so make it, yeah. whip up some Dorothy Lynch and send it out to Kansas, and I'll, I'll put it down on the, the next. <laughs> so essentially, oh my God, I hope my wife, she doesn't listen to the podcast, um, and surely well, she doesn't listen to all, she's, it's, it's mostly to enhance the flavor. I'm, I don't know why I'm whispering. It's to enhance the flavor because I don't necessarily like lasagna and I didn't love my mom's and I don't necessarily love my wife's. And so oh, you put man. some so you're dress- to this pie, You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> I I record in the the little man's bedroom, so she's probably listening right now. So as soon as we get done with the episode, I'm in big trouble for the rest of the day. My Sunday is cooked at this point. Well, just so the listeners know, it is a can of condensed tomato soup, a cup of vegetable oil, (laughs) three-fourths cup of white sugar, half cup of vinegar, and then the seasonings, dry mustard powder, salt, celery seed, pepper, garlic powder, and then cornstarch. Don't do that. Don't do that. You can read the ingredients for anything and make it sound like it's bad. No, but I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it is okay. mostly tomato soup, oil, sugar, and vinegar. So it sounds like a very tangy uh, yeah. tomato yep. sauce, and probably doesn't taste that dissimilar to to, to ketchup. Honestly, if I had uh, to guess, yeah, definitely more tang though. And I've yeah. never used it on salad. That's what's weird. I don't put it on my salad. I'm just a regular ranch guy with my salad. But like this pasta type stuff i say mostly lasagna there's some other things like creative that that i'll put it on also but i I don't know it's one of those things like your dad does it so that's what you do and then it just never changes and you stay with it wes why did you type spicy ketchup into the chat what who uses spicy ketchup i don't this is all mind-boggling to me yeah spicy ketchup is pretty good but dorothy list dressing is mostly just tomato soup oil 
and then sugar and, and vinegar. So I'm, I'm imagining it's like a very sweet, very tangy sort of like tomato sauce. And because lasagna is a lot of tomato sauce, I can see why it would taste good on lasagna. So I can get I can get behind this. Honestly, I probably I probably see the Lay's on, on the peanut butter sandwich a little bit more than the Dorothy Lynch on lasagna. Only because I didn't know what Dorothy Lynch was until five minutes ago. So like this is just like a whole new a whole new thing for me. Like I've never heard of it before now. So. Can you whip some up sometime in the next couple of days? We're in the off season here. You got tons of time, right? Like you're not doing anything. It's not like you're still writing articles every day. Can you whip some up and try it out for me? I'll, I'll just get some from the stir. I'm not going to whip it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you have before we go to the karaoke question? Do you have one for the listeners? I mean, I probably have a few. Like I eat like a lot of stuff. So I would say one thing I've begun doing in the last year that I have not ever done before is if you ever make like a, a breakfast sandwich, it's like straight up bacon, egg, and cheese. Okay. A lot, a lot of people won't put any sauce in it at all, or they'll put like hot sauce on it, uh, which is like both fine. Uh, one thing that I did a lot growing up that I don't think I saw as weird, but I saw something on Twitter the other week. Uh, and apparently it's more of a Southern thing. Like my family, you know, is from the South. So maybe I just picked up on it from my parents is putting jelly on your breakfast sandwiches. So you put like strawberry. So you jelly. took it off the peanut butter and jelly and now you're putting it on a breakfast burrito. No, like just a breakfast sandwich. Like if I have like a bacon, a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich, I mean, cause you already put jelly on toast, right? So you can put like strawberry jelly on toast and that's cool. So just take the, the toast and you put the, the strawberry jelly on and then you just put like eggs and bacon on it and cheese and, I guess a lot of people don't put jelly on their breakfast sandwiches, but I always did growing up where you go to McDonald's and get like a biscuit at McDonald's. Like I'd always get like the strawberry jelly pack and put some on there. Got a little sweetness. It's pretty good. Uh, in the last year, so I did that growing up. But in the last year, if I'm making a breakfast sandwich at home, I started putting spicy brown mustard on it. And I've never really been a mustard guy at all growing up. And one day I just had like a, it just crossed my mind. Like I feel like mustard would be really good, like something that goes with the eggs. And started putting spicy brown mustard and sriracha in all my breakfast sandwiches. And like, honestly, the mustard is absolutely top tier. Like I would not just eat mustard on eggs or whatnot, like on a breakfast sandwich, like it is perfect. I recommend it. It is a superior topping to hot sauce or jelly or whatever else you put on there. Like spicy brown mustard or Dijon mustard is top tier. Bryce is so fed up. Like I- like, Wes typed in the chat grape jam on a grilled cheese sandwich. Like I, I wish I could- it. I would I stop. It. You could yeah. not get behind it. Quit. Yeah, you could. Okay, so grilled cheese is already like just think about it from like the flavor combinations, right? So uh you have grilled cheese. Grilled cheese is gonna be salty because cheese is naturally salty, but melted cheese is also like a creaminess to it. Putting sweetness with salty things is almost always good. I would do strawberry jelly, because I'm not that crazy about grape jelly. But either way, I can see it tasting really good. Like you also see people put like honey on sandwiches for a little sweetness. It's all the same stuff. This is going to sound crazy to you, but like one of my favorite pizzas is I'll do like a spicy. I'll put like hot honey on it and it's just like honey infused with chilies or whatnot. And if you have like pepperoni and like something sweet like pineapple, you get the salty, the sweet. Stop ruining pizza. It's amazing. It's top tier pizza. So I'm down for putting a little sweet sweetness or saltiness on anything. It's probably going to make it better. We're moving on. <laughs> Coach Graham, my guy, Coach Graham, if you had to karaoke, what song would you choose and why? I got a whole lot of answers. All right. So I did karaoke a lot in college and I realized a lot of the songs. That you, have video video proof? Proof. you have video proof? You have video proof? That's probably some videos on me out Can there. Can we find one? Uh, we got to find one and get it out on Twitter. You know, you're not going to find it. Nobody's ever recorded me. Probably the, the, like they don't listen to the pod, I'm sure. So uh, like I'm saying that and then somebody's going to tweet a video. Out <laughs> I can't on, wait. Tuesday. I, I don't think any of my college fans, friend, or most of them are like huge business fans, so I'm not sure. But uh, 
we'll see. I might, I might, I might have dug my own grave there. So, like, a lot of, like, my favorite songs are for karaoke are, like, R&B songs. And in your head, it seems like you can perform them and do pretty well. But then you go up on the stage and you realize it's actually pretty hard to sing a lot of these songs. So, uh, I used to, like, do, like, a, a lot of Usher when I do karaoke every week in college. Okay. Most Usher songs are hard to sing. Like, I'll try to sing it. You Don't Have to Call. That song is straight falsetto from beginning to end. Like, it, it went really, really bad. Uh, like, I love Stevie Wonder, like, Every single Stevie Wonder song, Stevie Wonder does not have an easy song to sing. Like he makes it sound easy, but they're not easy at all. But I would say normally I'm going toward like something like that, and I just accept that I'm going to sound terrible singing it because they're great singers, and I'm not. I'm decent at best, and even then, I'm probably selling myself. I'm probably hyping myself up too much. So, but that's that's me. Like I see you listed like five things here, so I think you're. I just want to make a note. I've never sang karaoke in my life and you will never catch me singing karaoke in my life. I don't think I've ever sang in front of anybody ever. And mostly because I suck at it and it's embarrassing. We should change that. You should, yeah, you should yeah, like do karaoke. Take the, the wife to care. It's going to be a nice night out. Nah, I'm too old for that. So to, to, to get some brownie points back with my wife after I crush her lasagna, one that I would do is a song by a Zach Brown band called Whatever It Is. It was like our wedding song. Like I know every word to it, like those type of things. I know people hate this song by Walker Hayes. It's called Fancy Like. It's the Applebee's song. I'm sure people have heard it. It's used for commercials and stuff. Um, so a, a bunch of different country songs. But to not be just boring here, I could do the Eminem rap battle in the movie Eight Mile vs. Papa Doc. I have, I like, I know the the words to to that rap battle. Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Like, that's something you could get into. That's a good song. No, no. I mean, I think anything by MJ is always going to be a crowd pleaser. And the key to karaoke is picking a song that the crowd knows so that they can that's sing it true. with you. And it takes less attention off of you because if you sing a song nobody knows and it's a hard song, you just make yourself look ridiculous. So anything by MJ is always a good a good safe bet. And then we've talked about this. People know, like I grew up in the two thousand early two thousands when I was in high school, and you know, Fifty Cent, Tupac, Nelly, Eminem, like any of that stuff is you know i know most of those songs especially the popular ones so that was kind of my stuff i was listening to whenever i was you know in the gym getting shots up so there's a few different one of those that i could definitely karaoke to my thing is i have to pick a song that i feel like i know every single word to because i would get super super uncomfortable if i went up there and like didn't know that i was gonna know every word so that's that's kind of why i picked the songs i did is those are songs i feel pretty comfortable that I would know all the words, even though I know it's up on the screen for you or whatever, but just kind of how I am. I want to know every word going into it. Yeah. And they, uh, and one thing about karaoke too, that kind of catches you off guard, like they have the TV that puts the lyrics up on the uh, thing. So it helps you out, but it's usually a literal translation or not a little, but literal transcription, I should say. Oh yeah. Yeah. So all of the ums and the oohs and the o's and all that, they put that in there. And a lot of times the singer's just ab living. So the song starts and like Usher does that a lot. Like he'll just be singing and just ab living and they put them on on the screen. And I'm like, well, I don't know every single um and ooh. And they'll even mix them in if he like ad libs in between like verses or lines or whatnot. So it's just like a mess. It's impossible to follow along, really. So I think that's why bands like Queen, where you can just go like we like we will rock you or just like really easy stuff to sing. It's a way to go in karaoke. My strategy is a, a, a losing strategy. I think if I just went up there and did the Eminem rap battle or Man in the Mirror or something about Nelly, uh, I'd be a lot more successful. But it just means that we got to get a video of you doing karaoke since you're doing easy songs. And you seem to have a lot more thoughts on, on this. Or, I mean, I've talked about it a lot, so I, I don't even know if that's true. I think I'm the karaoke guy here. 
Yeah, there's zero percent chance you're ever going to get that. Like, I just I liked the question. I thought it was fun. I wanted to give people a little insight into my music taste and that it's not just country like you always cook me for. So I, I just wanted to go out there and score some points back with my wife. Hopefully that's going to work. So um, just want to thank everybody for the mailbag questions. This was a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know we talked a lot of Pistons, but we also did a little bit outside of that, which we don't always get a chance to do. We thought this episode was a good time for that. So thank you for your support leave a rating review reach out give us your feedback we appreciate you guys so much log off season guys so keep the uh being this questions coming we have a lot of material to chew through before training camp in two months uh <laughs> so uh shout out to our editor carrie jr the second uh, our executive producer Angela delgado and our sports editor kirkman profit also shout out to west we have a lot of again we have a lot of off season to get through so we should do like a west episode just we got one coming. He, now we got one coming here in a couple weeks where he, he might be on with us the whole time. So that one will be fun. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you all soon.